but we are attempting on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are attempting to fulfill our national purpose to create and sustain a society in which all of us are equal. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was Texas Congresswoman Barbara Jordan speaking at the 1976 Democratic National Convention where she made history as the first black woman with a keynote at a national party convention. I'm Jason Franklin, it's Tuesday, April 27th, and moving from 1976 to today, here at One for Democracy, we're keeping our eye on five key issues this week. The Census Bureau released its apportionment count yesterday. We've got the latest domestic and global COVID developments, some reflection as we come to the end of Biden's first 100 days. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments on big new issues like campaign finance and gun regulations. And we're looking at some state election developments in Arizona, California, and Louisiana that give some insight into where we may be headed in the 2022 elections. So first, the census. Um, Much-awaited release of the apportionment count yesterday. So this is a big moment in politics. It's the start of that race to redraw congressional, legislative, and other electoral lines across the country. We got two big pieces of data yesterday. First off, the census showed that the U.S. population grew from roughly 308 million people in 2010 to 331 million people in 2020, a 7.35% increase. It's actually the slowest population growth in the United States since the Great Depression. On the congressional side, we saw 12 states gain or lose a seat, and Texas gained two seats. Besides Texas, five other states gained a seat, Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon, while seven states are each losing one seat, California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. Those changes are a smaller shift, actually, than were expected. Only seven seats shifted between states, not the 10 that some people estimated. There were expectations that Texas might gain three, not two, and others believed that states like Arizona might gain a seat or Minnesota or Rhode Island or Alabama lose seats. None of them did. The apportionment numbers demonstrate the ongoing population decline in the Midwest and Northeast and the continued dramatic population growth in the Sun Belt. When we look at the Sun Belt, interestingly enough, growth driving those increases are in areas that tend to vote Democratic growth in Latinx and African-American communities and in the suburbs. If the maps of our districts were perfectly fairly drawn, you'd expect to see Democrats pick up seats in those states. Also, some of the figures were really close. The closest of all, census officials said if they had counted just 89 more people in New York, that the state of New York would not have lost a seat in Congress. The more granular detail and data won't be out until uh, September 30th, and that's going to cause a lot of problems as we're in this redistricting moment. Some states have statutory or constitutional deadlines for redrawing their districts, and they won't have the data in time to do that. Others are starting to look at can they use non-census data to redraw congressional and legislative electoral lines. Expect lots of lawsuits on that front because the fight for the House of Representatives will run straight through this year's redistricting process. And just as the wave of anti-voter bills moving through state legislatures show, 
politicians are going to try to gerrymander themselves into their majorities for the next decade. While Republicans have full control over fewer states than they did in 2010, they still have been more successful at winning state legislatures and have almost total control over the process in some of the key states like Texas and Florida. Kelly Ward Burton, the president of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, said yesterday, quote, the presumption that Republicans should get all those new seats simply because they control the process is a presumption of gerrymandering, and that is illegal. Look for many upcoming court fights over this redistricting process, and frankly, that began yesterday with a set of three lawsuits from NDRC that are called impasse lawsuits being filed in Louisiana, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania, all states with divided governments that will be likely unable to pass new maps in time for the 2022 election. They have gone to the courts to ask for a timeline to be created to force the redrawing of new maps using this new 2020 data. Just the first in an ongoing series of litigation around redistricting. On the COVID front, you know, we've all been watching the outbreak in India. India has set and broken daily records for COVID cases, and yesterday it broke another, over 350,000 new cases. You know, the rising number of cases driven by things like the allowing of large gatherings again and new variants is putting just unheard of pressure on the healthcare system in India. The U.S. has said it's sending drug treatments and COVID tests and PPE to the country. And, as we've talked about before, amid accusations that it's hoarding vaccines, especially millions of AstraZeneca vaccines that it has yet to approve pending clinical trial data for use in the U.S., the Biden administration finally announced that it will send 60 million doses of that AstraZeneca COVID vaccine to India and other nations. However, they're still unwilling to discuss vaccine waivers on the vaccines developed by Pfizer and Moderna. So the intellectual property rights and patent rights remain an ongoing debate. Also, Turkey, which ranks fourth in the world in new daily cases, has ordered a new three-week lockdown. So we are far from free from the coronavirus pandemic and the global implications for foreign policy and just the toll on human life will continue to play out. Here in the U.S., the CDC and the FDA agreed to give the Johnson & Johnson vaccine a green light after an 11-day pause because of the rare blood clots that were reported from a number of women who received the vaccine. But on the disturbing side, new uh, analysis shows that more than 5 million people in the U.S. have skipped their second vaccine dose, could leave people at higher risk of infection from variants. So ongoing dance back and forth of how do we emerge both in the U.S. and internationally from this pandemic. Third big thing is that we're coming up this week to the end of Biden's first 100 days, and they have been big. You know, since his first day in office, he has signed over 50 executive orders, about half of them reversing Trump policies from Trump's withdrawal from the Paris Climate Pact to immigration policies, border wall construction, the travel ban targeting Muslim communities. In his first two weeks, Biden signed nearly as many executive orders as Roosevelt, who was the record holder, signed in his entire first month. We also saw the COVID bill, and we've now seen a $2.3 trillion infrastructure package and the outlines of a $1.5 trillion America's family plan, including childcare, paid family leave, universal pre-K, free community college. You know, the Biden administration knows that they have to work fast. Their Senate majority is hanging on by a thread. One senator gets sick and they lose the chance to pass policy. They also are feeling like they need to push hard. 
Biden's poll numbers continue to be strong, the economy is growing despite Republican expectations for a falloff, and corporations keep cutting off or cutting back their donations to the GOP and pulling away from Republican talking points. So you see an opening for this kind of bold move. Overall, out of the 60-plus promises Biden made to move on in his first 100 days, most analysts are showing that he's moved on 80, 90, 95%, depending on how you measure, moving forward on those various promises. So a very close adherence to the campaign into these first 100 days. Last two things that I'm keeping track of, the Supreme Court. There's been a huge battle over the composition of the Supreme Court, the fact that Trump was able to appoint a number of justices and that conservative tilt to the court and what will be its impact on policy and politics in the years to come. Well, we're seeing some of that play out this week. Supreme Court hearing arguments on two big cases in particular. In California, a law requiring the disclosure of confidential donor information. You've got conservative nonprofits, the Americans for Prosperity Foundation, which is backed by the Koch Network, and the Thomas More Law Center, challenging the right of California to require disclosure the names of large donors. And it could be the chance for a conservative Supreme Court to revisit donor disclosure rules. Uh, you're also seeing a Supreme Court challenge to the New York law that limits the carrying of guns. It's kind of a test case on the Second Amendment and whether there's any rightward movement on this issue. So both cases important in and of themselves, also important bellwethers of where the Supreme Court will be headed long term. Similarly, in state elections, we're seeing some important developments that may be bellwethers of where we're headed in the short term on the electoral front. Three things. Arizona State Senate has begun an audit of all the ballots cast in the last election in Maricopa County, but they've turned the process over to a company called Cyber Ninjas, a Florida-based consultancy with no election experience run by somebody who's posted widely about conspiracy theories about the stolen election. Deep concern around whether this audit itself is going to cast more suspicion on the election and undermine faith in democracy and whether it's simply a partisan play. Over in California, the recall effort against California's governor, Gavin Newsom, has gathered enough signatures to head to a special election. Now, after largely ignoring the bid to force him out, Newsom began really fighting the recall earlier this year, and now he's going to be entering a really hard new phase, trying to steer California back to normal life as the pandemic slowly starts to recede and run a full-time campaign to defend his job. Luckily for Newsom, so far no Democrats have filed to run against him, although a bunch of Republicans already have. Businessman John Cox, the former San Diego mayor, Kevin Falconer, and reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner among them. Now that the recall has passed the threshold to qualify, expect the floodgates to open for many other candidates who are going to try to raise their profile by running to replace Newsom. Most experts agree the chance of actually recalling him is going to be low, but people are also watching how well it does or how close it gets and which types of candidates against Newsom do the best to get indicators of where California and the West may be heading. In the South, in Louisiana, State Senator Troy Carter, who was backed by top leaders of the Congressional Black Caucus, beat back State Senator Karen Carter-Peterson in a runoff to fill a House seat that really became a kind of jockeying for position between the progressive and moderate parts of the Democratic Party. Now Congressman-elect Carter overcame more than a million dollars of outside spending, won 56 to 44%. Another kind of moment of watching 
how is the Democratic Party continuing to define itself and where is it building power? The fact that it was such a strong race for progressives is a sign of their growing power. The fact that Troy Carter still won shows that moderates are still a force to be reckoned with within the Democratic Party, especially as Cedric Richmond, who left that seat, went to join the Biden administration and supported Carter in his election run. So thanks for joining us to hear this quick review of key issues of the week. The Census Bureau and its release of apportionment data, the latest domestic and global COVID developments, some early reflections on Biden's 100 days, some of the first big cases emerging with this new Supreme Court that will give us indicators of where it may be headed, and some state election developments that similarly may shed light on the trajectory for state elections around the country. I'm Jason Franklin, and thanks for joining 10 Minutes on Democracy.